Well, this is lesson number four, and we're calling this leadership wisdom from Proverbs. Uh, in my personal life, anytime I want to know something about something, I study Proverbs because you can find proverbial wisdom on any topic, any subject, and you can make your life a whole lot safer. Uh, the, the opposite of the wise person in Proverbs is the fool. The fool does not mean the idiot or the uneducated one. The word fool just means you are bad at making decisions and it ends up costing you. You can have 15 PhDs and be a fool in God's eyes. Or you can not even have a GED, drop out of kindergarten, you know, flunk kindergarten because you ate all the paint and still grow up to be a wise man. How many PhDs did David have? What about Solomon? They didn't even spell PhD back then. It was spelled something different, but they didn't have them. But those were wise men because it's a spirit of wisdom. So anytime we want to excel at anything, we need wisdom for it and you'll find wisdom on it in the book of Proverbs, and so is the case with the subject of leadership. So let's look into this real quick, oh, and uh, we have three pages we need to go through. The book of Proverbs contains many insights into leadership. Proverbs provides guidance to several different types of leaders, and uh, so it, the Bible covers that. Proverbs lets us know there's different types of leadership. Whether we are kings, bosses, fathers, or mothers, the book of Proverbs offers us much wisdom on how to be better leaders. The book of Proverbs discusses moms and dads. It discusses kings. It discusses servants. You can have wisdom being a servant. And so we need to study Proverbs and get it in our heart. Uh, very, I don't, want to, I don't want to belittle any book of the Bible because it's the word of God, but there are certainly certain books that are more fitting on a day-to-day -day basis than others. Proverbs is one of those. You know, you could go study Leviticus, and there's some awesome things in there, and a lot of things that carry over to the New Testament, but studying Leviticus every day is not going to do you the same as perhaps studying Proverbs, and I think you understand what I'm trying to say there. The Revelation is a powerful book, and there's awesome things in there for us today, but a big bulk of it is what's going to happen in the future, not what's going to happen today. And so you could study the Revelation every day, certainly, and get some good things, but boy, you study Proverbs every day, your life will take off like a rocket, and that's what we need today. I've got a lot of knowledge today, very little common sense. And so we want to get wisdom. Proverbs 18, excuse me, 8, 14 through 16 says, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. So you see right there, this is a Proverbs 8. You should know Proverbs 8 is the famous wisdom chapter in the book of Proverbs. But wisdom is saying multiple things here. Wisdom is saying counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Notice that by wisdom, kings reign, princes decree justice. There's two types of leaders. Princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. There's two more types of leader, no, nobles and judges. And so this verse alone or excuse me, these three verses show us four critical things that leadership requires, whether you're a king, a prince, a noble, or a judge. So those four things are number one, counsel. Counsel means advice, consultation, and a plan. If you're going to lead, you've got to get advice. You've got to get a counsel. Nobody's successful on their own. Even as wise as Solomon was, you'll study the life of Solomon. He had governors, he had undersecretaries, he had tremendous people around him helping him do what he knew to do. Part of wisdom is knowing who to go to when you don't know what to do. You can have a lick of wisdom, but the one drop of wisdom you need is, I need to go ask somebody, and that's wisdom. 
So the first thing we need as far as being leaders is counsel. Dictators even have counselors. I'm finishing up a book right now on uh, Mobutu out of um, what was Zaire now DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. Even Mobutu, who was considered a dictator, not like Idi Amin, uh, he was a much more benevolent dictator. He was just money hungry and, uh, you know, on a power trip. He didn't kill people like Idi Amin. Even Mobutu was surrounded with counselors who helped him. And of course, they vied for competition and for the money that the U.S. was giving them uh, and embezzling from the U.S. and wasting as well as the World Bank. But even dictators have to have advisors because you can't do it all by yourself. Even if you're just a single mom, you need counselors. You need somebody to tell you what, you do, what to do, how to do it. And that's not control, that's wisdom. Tell me what to do. I think we've all been to a place where we'd look at somebody and say, just tell me what to do so it gets better. A wise person doesn't have to hit bottom before they ask for help. A wise person stands on top of the mountain and says, I don't want to fall down there. Where should I go from here? And when the king gets to the top, if he doesn't have counselors, he'll just tumble down the other side of his mountain. And so we want to make sure we keep counsel in our life. Number two, sound wisdom. This is sound or efficient wisdom. Also, uh, the Hebrew calls it an abiding success. Just because you have wisdom yesterday doesn't mean you have it tomorrow. You want to have an abiding success. We covered it Wednesday night as we started teaching on how to be led by God, how to know the will of God. And one of the Hebrew words for wisdom just means skill. Just to have skill. Just to be skilled at what you're doing in life. So we have to have sound wisdom if we're going to be leaders. Also understanding, that means discernment, your ability to discern things. Some folks have lots of knowledge, but they can't discern what they have in their databanks. Oh, I mean, I gotta put that and that together. Oh, okay. So can you discern all this stuff? Or like, can you discern the seasons? You know what's going on, the blowing up stuff in Syria, blowing up stuff in Iran, blowing up stuff in Iraq, blowing up stuff in Israel, blowing up stuff in Syria, blowing up stuff in Gaza. Uh, that's knowledge, but can you discern what all that means? So leaders have to be discerning. If you on the job can't put two and two together and anticipate stuff, you know you're about to run out of supplies, but you don't have the discerning fortitude to be able to realize, I should order stuff to replace what's missing. You'll never be put over that. So just because you have know-how and knowledge doesn't mean you have understanding. The fourth thing these th verses tell us about leadership is we need strength. If you're going to be a leader, you have to have strength. Now, this Hebrew word means bravery, might, valor, and mighty deeds. You can have the other four, but without a strength about you, nobody follows weaklings. Now, they might follow a weakling who led strong for 50 years, and they follow him just out of respect and honor, like they did David. They honored David, even though he was old and weak and sick, and he had to be wrapped in blankets and have a lady. He never slept with her, but he had to have a handmaiden assigned to her that would hold him just to have warmth put into his body. They honored him, though he was not the Goliath killer he was in his early days. But nobody follows a weakling. Nobody follows someone who lacks strength. So this is a fourth ingredient we see we need if we're going to have to be leaders. If you as a parent don't have strength, your kids will march all over you. Pastor Titus said, rebellion is born when they see holes in leadership, holes in parenting. Children already learn from the time they're about a year and a half how to manipulate mom and dad. And they need to see a solidified front and a strength that says no means no means no. Every once in a while, Lydia will talk me into something and mommy will say, hold your ground, daddy. Don't give in. How could I not give in to that? <laughs> strength. <laughs> strength. 
God is very clear here. These are what it takes for kings, princes, nobles, and judges to be successful. And so we may not ever be a king. We may not ever be a technically a prince, uh, but we can be nobles. And the Bible commands us to be judges, not a judge that sits on a magistrate's bench, but someone who can judge the times, judge the seasons. We're to judge situations so we don't make dumb decisions. So even if you're a teenager, you're still called to be a judge, not one that drops the gavel and sends someone to the executioner's chamber, but someone who can judge. I shouldn't run that yellow light. It's been yellow very long. I probably shouldn't eat that. Everybody else that ate that's getting sick. You should all be pretty good at judging things. So let's look at the fruit of godly leadership. This whole lesson is nothing but wisdom from Proverbs on how to be leaders. So it gives us little insights. It helps us build the resume and the job description of a, a, a leader. And again, don't think about being a leader as a pastor. Don't think about being a leader as a president or a CEO or a shift manager. Think about leadership in your own personal life. Whatever God has put you over, whether it's just you. If, you, if you're the only thing you're over, thank God, rejoice, and get good at it. Some folks will never be promoted beyond being over themselves because they never master themselves. They're always mastered by their self. And you're supposed to be able to master your mind, your appetites, your money, your, ap uh, your habits, everything around you. And once you kind of get that going, it'll begin to break out and your bosses and your professors and your teachers will see that and they'll begin to put you over other stuff. You know, even in the grade school, the teacher, he's always the, will always pick someone. He's always called the teacher's pet by the kids that never get promoted in life. But the teacher will always pick someone who they see has their act together and use them to help run the class. And it helps put leadership in that child and also build that child's self-esteem. But also, I believe teachers do it to try to show others, I'd, I'd like to use you too, but you can't even master not eating the glue or your boogers. And then those grow up to be 50-year-olds who still eat the glue and the boogers. Amen. So let's look at what Proverbs says, the fruit of godly leadership, Proverbs 14.1. Every wise woman builds her house. Doesn't have to say married woman, even a single woman. But the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. I want you to see here, because the, the wise woman, we're talking about a leadership role here. It doesn't say every wise leader, but it is talking about a leadership role. Wisdom or wise leadership is always building something. When you're a leader and you want to lead, you can't just sit at home and watch television. It eats you up just to watch television. Something's always got to be cleaned. Something's always got to be straightened. Something's always got to be put together. Leadership, I don't believe you're born with it, though some people might be born with a measure of it, but leadership is developed. And once you get this thing going in you, you can't just sit still. You can't just run idle. You can't let your house fall through. You can't let your yard look like billy goats should graze there. You can't let your car look like Sanford and Son was going to offer you 50 bucks for it. You have to always be investing and building in something. You, can't, you don't want to just walk around and look goofy. You, you, you want to look nice. You, you have this thing of energy about you that you want to invest in things. That's how God was. He saw darkness and chaos and said, it cannot be this way. I must do something about this. So you see this first thing with leadership is that it's always wanting to build something. Even if nobody greater than it has ever given it anything, it says, you know what? I'm going to go build a deck. I'm going to go landscape my garden. I'm going to go prune those trees just because they need to be pruned and I just can't sit here idly as an American any longer. That's leadership. Chaos and poor leadership will always fail to build. 
A lack of leadership will result in a lack of accomplishment. Again, we're not even talking about the president of the United States here or the president of a college or the president of a corporation. We're just talking about you being a single homeowner, you being an apartment dweller and having uh, nothing but a roommate. You can still, if you have leadership about you, you will rise up and build. Leadership very rarely gets depressed because it doesn't have time to be. Amen. Leadership doesn't have time to be discouraged. Leadership doesn't have time to be mopey. Leadership doesn't have time for self-pity. You will very rarely find depression among great leaders. They're just too driven. They don't have time for it because the calling to accomplish something, even if it's something carnal or secular, is too great on them and their drive is too great to succumb to depression because all they know is how to accomplish they don't have time to sit around and feel sorry for themselves. Most of your great millionaires and billionaires went broke five and six times. It didn't depress them. They just said, well, I know what to do. Get back to work again. We can recoup this wealth. And they did it. On a side note, our society today talks a lot about wealth distribution or redistribution. I don't know how we can redistribute it. Some folks never had it in the first place. But what they're talking about is wealth distribution, which basically says those that work hard for their money don't deserve it. It's not fair. It's not fair that they work hard and make all this money. It's not fair that they can make millions of dollars in a day day trading though they spent 15 years studying the system. We should take from them and we should give to people who are lazy. And so we should redistribute the wealth. Again, redistribute. The poor people never had it in the first place because they're poor. Poverty is not a lack of money. It's a mindset. It's a laziness issue. And so many uh, economists has noted, a wise economist, not a communist economist, but many a wise economist has noted, you could redistribute wealth. You could, honestly, you could bankrupt every one of those billionaires and multimillionaires today and give their wealth to all the poor people. And by the end of the month, the rich people will be rich again and the poor people will be broke again. Amen. Just like you can see it in a college professor's classroom, you could take the smart kids halfway through the semester and give all their high points and GPA points to the dumb kids. The kids who smoke pot, drink, and have sex and don't study, who waste mom and dad's t tuition money. Give them all the points and level the playing field and by the end of the semester, the smart kids will still come out with an A and the dumb kids will still flunk. One man said, he said, communism's great, they take from the rich and give to the poor and then throw both of them in prison. <laughs> Amen. Proverbs 14, 28, NIV. A large population is a king's glory, but without subjects, a prince is ruined. A large population is a king's glory. His bragging rights. He has a big domain. But without subjects, a prince is ruined. This lets us know leadership will always produce a following. If you've got leadership about you, people want to chase after you. People want to say, well, how do you do what you do? I want to, I want to get around you. And the greater your leading ability, the more people you will lead. Uh, unfortunately, and not, to, not to, um, to exonerate him, but Hitler was a great leader. He had tremendous charisma. He was a tremendous orator. And you can see pictures from Berlin, 1937, 38, 39. You can see a sea of people unlike anything modern time has ever seen. He was a great leader. That didn't mean he led them to greatness. 
by, by great leader. I mean, if you lead a lot of people into a mission and accomplish it, that's great leadership. Just killed a lot of people and sent a lot of people to hell. So ultimately in eternity, it's a total failure. But he, he led a nation out of the ashes, right back into the ashes. The allied forces are what brought the ashes the second time. As we did the first time, actually, come to think of it. But when you have a great leadership about you, people will want to be around you to become great. Pastor Titus Marefu always tells me, if you want to be great, you have to rub elbows with greatness. And so you and I, if we don't have much leadership about us, we would be wise to get around folks who have it. So it'll rub off on us so we can be better. If I don't know something about a subject, I get around people that know that thing. I don't care if they're under me spiritually or in my church. I'm going to get around them and say, all right, you're going to teach me. Sit over me. Show me how to do this because I don't know how to do it. And I'm not going to learn it from scratch. You've already got it. Give it to me. And I get around them and they're able to lead in that capacity. Proverbs 25, 5, take away the wicked from before the king and his throne shall be established in righteousness. From that, I say a leader must work to keep sin and perversion out of their domain. This will establish the work God has entrusted you with. Uh, Great leadership does not want sin or perversion in their midst. Great leadership will take a hit and prolong perhaps victory for the sake of being clean and holy. A lot of business people are great leaders, but they get into really unmoral, immoral, unscrupulous business ways because they see the shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to greatness. There's only one way, and that's the great way. That's the Jesus Christ way, the way of holiness and uprightness. You don't want to build a business through perverse means. The Bible says an unjust weight and a a wicked scale are an abomination to God. That talks about business people ripping off folks. To me, when I, was, um, when I worked in the engineering field realm, it, to me, it, it always convicted me. My bosses assumed they were getting 40 hours a week out of me. That's what I was paid for. And, but I always realized I don't do 40 hours a week. Some days I did a lot more than that, and they got their dollar out of me. But some weeks it was office time. And office time meant, you know, get coffee in the morning. We had a giant hallway that looped around because we had a bunch of engineers. I wasn't, I'm not an engineer, but I worked with a bunch of them. And you just kind of crop dust and you just drink your coffee. What's going on, Greg? What's going on, Chuck? You guys have a good weekend? Yeah. How about those Vols? Got beat by like a drum again, didn't they? What's up, Mr. Corlew? How's things in the corner office? Yeah, appreciate you too. You know, that's 30 minutes. By nine o'clock, I'm ready to get some work done. I got to check the news. Oh, you're not you're kidding me. That's going on in the world? Oh, then it's time for the 945 conference call. Going to the other office. So I began to realize studying that proverb, I'm a useless human being. Because then it's like 1045, it's time for start making lunch plans. So we got to go crop dust again. What are you guys doing for lunch? You guys want to head over to the pizza place there in downtown by the campus? <laughs> Then you get hung up with the secretary because you got to talk to the secretary because secretary runs the show. And if you want to get anything done, you got to be friends with the secretary. And she's just a chatty Kathy anyway, though her name is Brenda. And you have to just win her cause. So then it's 1130 and the guys want to go to lunch early. So what did I do Monday morning? Nothing. But I got paid a lot of money for it. (laughs) That's no way to lead. I don't get to really do that much anymore. I don't have anybody to talk to and drink coffee. (laughs) Amen. A leader must work to keep sin and perversion out of their domain. This will establish the work God has. I actually, 
I actually repented to my boss one time over that, Mr. Mike out of Atlanta. I was very convicted. I said, Mike, I want to apologize and repent to you. I probably don't give you a full 40 hours a week when I'm here. When I'm doing field work, you get a lot more out of me, but I, I probably spend way too much time surfing the internet. I just want to repent to you. I'm convicted. And I don't know if Mr. Montgomery was a Christian or not. He's still alive. I still check on him. He didn't know what to, he was a short guy. He didn't, he kind of took a step back and said, well, Chris, um, we could probably all be a little bit more productive. I appreciate your honesty, though. <laughs> he was a vice president, too, so. <laughs> oh, all right, leadership do's and don'ts. We've got to move through this thing here. <laughs> Proverbs 14:35. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. One of the things I see here just reading it is kings have favor. Leadership does, leaders as a leader, you do give people favor. But the Bible tells us who we give favor to. You don't give favor towards fools. You don't give favor towards those that drop the ball constantly. You give favor towards those who earn it. The Lord doesn't give all of us favor. The, the favor of the Lord is upon some of us in here more strongly than others. You can't live any way you want to as a Christian and expect the favor of God to be upon you. Now, that's not partiality. That's not respect of persons. It's a respect of faith and faithfulness. You have no respect of persons. The term no respect of persons is, is a, a term that refers to honoring somebody based on natural things. They're rich. They're educated. Uh, so I like them more and I will make my face to shine upon them, as the psalmist said. Or they're poor, they're ugly, they're dingy. I don't like their skin color. Therefore, that's all natural stuff. I will not cause my face to shine upon them. But you better believe the Lord does have respect of faith and he has respect of faithfulness. So a king's favor is upon a wise servant. The king causes his face to shine upon those he trusts, those who are faithful to him, those that he can promote. He would be a fool, the king, if he were to shine favor upon the foolish servant that wastes his resources, that never gets the job done. He would be a fool to keep giving that man promotion or that woman jobs. He would have to, according to wisdom, withdraw stuff and give it to the person that will get things done. All right, so you see the king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causes shame. There's no respect of persons here. We're not respecting the person, the color, the education, the money, the looks. That's all a natural respect of persons. We're forbidden even in the New Testament to do that. But we have every right to be respectful or disrespectful towards performance attitude, and spiritual or soulish qualifications. I would be judged by God if I promoted people who were not faithful. So I cannot respect the outward person, but I can respect performance. Do you see the difference? We, do not, we are not partial. We have no partiality. Racism is partiality. Also, socioeconomic favoritism is partiality. Nepotism is the, the term used to describe promoting family members. That's partiality. What you're supposed to do is promote those who earn it, those who are counted faithful. God doesn't care about the outward or the, the natural. What he wants for is that heart of faith, that heart of faithfulness, that heart that's dependable, and then a performance that backs it up. Leaders must, must execute wise justice. Leadership should give favor to those who are deserving and wrath to those who are deserving. You know, the kids say, a teacher gave me an F. You deserved it. 
I earned an A. See the difference? It's called self-propaganda. It's all in the subtleties. The teacher gave me a D. I got an A plus, mommy. How about you, you earned the D, you got the D, and the teacher gave you the A. It's always about what makes us look the best. So the teacher can't have partiality either. What causes a teacher to have favor? Good attitude. Don't the teachers always favor? It doesn't matter how good they are in class, how smart they are, how much they struggle. If they have a sweet disposition and kind manners, the teacher's gonna give them favor. The teacher might even give them the A when they deserve a B plus. Also, you might be a total jerk, have a brilliant mind, could slouch your way through engineering, deserve a C minus and the professor just give you a D just because he doesn't like you. I would do it. I'd find a reason to curve you down if I didn't like you because you were a jerk and a problem in my classroom. Yeah. And on the job, it looks like you're the first to get fired. Or we can't say that anymore because it hurts the adult psyche. So we're making some cuts and we have to lay you off. But you're going to be laid off. It's nothing personal. <laughs> it's, just, it's just personal because you're a bad employee. Godly leadership shows no partiality. Proverbs 16, 12 in the NIV, kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness. Don't think about the king on a golden throne, but also think about the boss. Think about the teacher. Think about the mama at home with the kids when daddy's off to work. Uh, the king detests wrongdoing. Mama detests wrongdoing. The boss detests wrongdoing. Because their throne of authority, their throne of domain is established through righteousness. Godly leaders must have a prejudice against wrongdoing. And there is zero room for corruption if you want leadership or your leadership to be established by God. If you start sowing corruption now, uh, whatever age you're at, you'll always reap it the rest of your life. So you got to dry this thing up. Don't look for shortcuts, but realize that God will honor you if you honor his law. You don't have partiality with your kids at home. You don't have partiality with your employees. You have to stand for what's right. I, I pray and I trust that I will always side with righteousness against my wife and against my kids if need be. And I would hope my church would side with righteousness against me if I ever got into sin or unrighteousness. Because we don't side with people. We side with truth. People come and go, but truth is set forever settled under heaven. And if you want to be a holy leader, you have to have this about you. There is zero room for corruption if you want your leadership to be established by God. Proverbs 16, 13 in the NIV, kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. So if you're going to be a godly leader from that, what we take away is leaders must favor truth and honesty rather than flattery. If you're a leader, you don't want yes, men. You don't want people to blow smoke up your tailpipe, as they say. You want people just to tell you the truth. In our home, we don't have any pleasantries or flatteries. I don't have time for it. You know, I, my wife doesn't like what I'm wearing. She tells me, you don't need to do that. Actually, yesterday I was, what was I doing yesterday? Couldn't find my, my yard shorts, so I wore my really short running shorts. I don't care. It's 195 degrees outside and I got to push more, a huge, thick yard. So I got on my work boots, my red wings, my tall socks, and I got my shorty running shorts on. And I had on a tank top. It wasn't a tankini. It was a tank top. Dudes wear tank tops. Chicks and homosexuals wear tankinis. 
So I'm out there and so I'm soaking wet. And I'm like, all right, now I got to go to church. And I said, honey, I'm going to wear these shorts to church and I'm going to put on a better shirt. And she said, do you think that's a good idea? And I looked down, I said, I got good looking legs, honey. What's the problem? And she said, it's not the legs that are the problem. It's the shorts. And some people have trouble with you not wearing a suit, much less short shorts. I said, fine. So I went, kept my shorts on, put my overalls on over them. <laughs> we, we don't have time for these. America is so full of false pleasantries anyway. We, we lie to each other. We've been taught to because nobody's feelings can be hurt. And it's made a big, weak psyche of a nation. And everybody gets the A plus and everybody gets the trophy and everybody gets and everybody gets and there's no such thing as failing till you wake up in hell. Amen. So if you're gonna be a great leader, don't, you don't want yes men, you want truth men. You want the truth to be spoken. You know, we tell a little girl, go put that up, that's ugly. Uh, you don't look good in that. It's just truth. They don't know to have their feelings hurt unless we teach them to have weak feelings. You know, my wife might say from time to time, honey, you hurt my feelings. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to, but what else do you want? Sorry. Let's go on. I'm not going to stop and cater to your feelings, though. We got stuff to do here. And likewise, I'd rather have people come to me and uh, just shoot me straight. Somebody came to me recently, one of our elders, and said, Pastor, you know, if you keep doing this, it's going to make you look stupid. Wow. I appreciate the frankness. I thank you for not tiptoeing around me. I will adjust this. I would rather have that than people watch me drive off a cliff. You notice we've made gods out of our emotions. We've made gods out of our feelings. And therefore, when people recognize that's the idol in our life, they have to worship it with us. And we never get truth anymore. So if you're gonna be a leader, you must favor truth and honesty rather than flattery. Leaders don't need to be surrounded with yes men. They need to be surrounded with truth men. Proverbs 23, 13. Well, just one more thing. I've told my wife more than once, honey, do not ever wear that again. You told me you liked this last time. I don't remember that. I've changed my mind. I don't like that. Give it away. Bless somebody with it, but I don't like you wearing it. All right, fine. I need more clothes. I don't care. We got money. We'll go buy some. But you're not wearing that anymore because I don't like it. She's my wife. She can tell me not to wear shorty shorts. <laughs> Even on vacation, I got this Honduras shirt that Luke got me. Uh, 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 Chad gave me one that was too small when first trip. So then I said, Luke, you're going back to Panama. Get me an extra large because apparently Central American large is more like midget size. And Central American extra large is more like large. So I got this Honduras shirt or whatever. And, I, and when we go on vacation, I wear it all day, every day, the whole vacation. I go swimming in it. That's how it gets washed. I, that's just what I do. It's my vacation. I don't have to wear suits. Nobody knows me. I grow hair out and, and wear flip-flops and shorty shorts in this Honduran shirt. So we're on vacation last week or two weeks ago, and we're getting ready to go horseback riding. It's a good time to pull out the Honduran shirt. And I come downstairs with the Honduran shirt, and my wife says, you're not going to wear that, are you? I had very much thought about wearing it. It's my vacation shirt. She said, we might take pictures today. <laughs> Fine, I won't wear it. She said, you've got something better, don't you? 
So I wore it to Dollywood the next day. And it was a step up for Dollywood. We just, truth. She can tell me what to wear. I'll tell her what to wear. Proverbs 23, 13. I really got to get the moving here. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. And notice there's nothing about time out there. Do you know God doesn't put you in time out? He says he, he beats you. He scourges you. And when you repent, the problem with timeout, it's all psychological. It's a post-psychological movement phenomenon. The Lord doesn't put us in timeout. Now, you can be a prodigal, but you're not in his home. Now, we have to do timeout here because our nation thinks it's bad to spank children. Uh, but the Bible doesn't teach that, and they're slowly encroaching on our religious rights and religious freedoms. Uh, but have you noticed that the, more, the less we spank children, the more they go to hell? You notice instead of spanking, now we have a drug-addicted set of kids. And you wonder where our, our nation has gone? It's because we started teaching them to stop doing the Bible. So God doesn't believe in timeout, neither do I. And uh, I honestly think if you want to do timeout at home, that's fine, but you're not biblical. I would rather spank my child, tell them, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, repent to mommy, I'm sorry, mommy. All right, I love you, I forgive you, now let's go play. Instead of putting them in 30 minutes of timeout, have them kick at the wall, have them sit there and learn how to be angry in their heart to begin to cop an attitude. I really believe attitude is born in the timeout corner or it's incubated anyway. Anyway, that's my two cents worth. Let's see what we can take away from this. Leaders cannot withhold correction from, who, from those they lead. If you're a leader, you cannot hold correction or withhold it. You have to distribute it. If you lead, you cannot withhold correction. If you're on the job, you can't hold, withhold correction from whoever's working for you. If you're a teacher, you cannot withhold correction. If you're the, pre, uh, the principal, you can't withhold correction. You have to give it. Does God withhold correction? No, no. Did Jesus Christ withhold correction? No, no. He corrected the whole nation and they killed him for it. So if you're a leader, you cannot withhold correction. Correction can save lives. It doesn't always because people don't always yield it, yield to it. But correction can, if it's listened to, save lives. Just, just to further drive the nail in, I've never put my daughter in timeout and I will never put any of my kids in timeout. That's just me personally because I'd rather have fun with them. Spank them, teach them to repent, and then go play bubbles. Go eat a cookie. Go watch some Daniel Tiger. Go... Go run in the grass and wild in the fountain. But time out, what are they, little prisoners? All right, I see we got some time out believers in here. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 2, and I got seven minutes to go through another two pages, page and a half. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. A leader will always have to seek God for direction, instruction, wisdom, and counsel. It is the honor of kings to search it out. Leaders must work to stay one step ahead of the flock, whether that flock is one child, seven children, a wife, whether your flock is your classroom, your flock is your, uh, your, your research facility, whether your flock is the fire hall or the police station, whatever you're over, maybe it's just you. You must work to stay one step ahead. Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of troubles like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Who likes broken teeth and dislocated ankles? Then stop putting confidence in unfaithful people. Proverbs 26, 6, he that sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off the feet and drinks damage. 
Leaders know how to use, who to use and who to put their confidence in. You, this comes back to the whole favoritism thing. You can't favor somebody for wrong purposes because it says very clearly here, do not put your confidence in unfaithful men and don't send messengers by unfaithful servants because you'll basically break your teeth, dislocate your feet, cut them off, then drink damage. Try to chew with a broken tooth. Try to run with a dislocated foot. You can't do it. It hinders everything about your day. When you have a broken tooth, you feel everything. When you have a dislocated foot, you feel everything. Your days are infinitely longer till that thing is fixed. Anybody here ever had somebody under them that was like this? And they were a broken tooth in your, your machine. They were a dislocated foot in your machine. And all day, all you could think about was them. Just like when you have a broken tooth, it's all you think about your tooth all day long. You have short respites of maybe something else, but then the tooth reminds you, oh, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and I'm causing you pain. And your foot throbs. Yeah. So leaders have to know who to use and who to put the confidence in. Proverbs 27, 23, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Leadership involves constant inspection. A leader is constantly walking among their stewardship. Dr. Barclay said, people will not only excel at what you expect, but people will excel at what you inspect. Good leaders inspect. Inspect your children's room. Show them how to do it better. Inspect your employee's workspace. Show them how to do it better. Inspect your student's work. Show them how to do it better. Now, this is why we don't have many good leaders, because this is work. We want folks to just get it. But you didn't become good by just getting it. See, in America, we want to cheapen everything. We want to rebate it, roll back the prices, and, and then, I don't know, have a giveaway, raffle. We want to be born into this stuff, and it doesn't work that way. The leadership's authority to execute judgment. This may be the most critical part of the lesson, and we have to do this in about five or six minutes. There comes a time when every leader must use their authority to judge a situation and administer punishment. This is not the only thing a leader does, but this is part of what a leader must do. In this modern society... We want to have leadership without punishment. We want to have leadership without them being able to execute judgment. What we want is a fairy godmother in charge. At Bible school, Reverend Lucy, whenever you upset her, she was a short, round lady. She still is. I still want to have her come preach for us. Very lovely lady. Tremendous woman of God. She'd say, Christopher, I'm going to get after you with my wet noodle. I'm not scared, but I know I've done wrong. But I'm also mature. You don't, if that's how you lead, oh, how many folks can you lead with wet noodles? That was her way of saying, you've upset me, but I know you didn't mean to, but do better. Now, if she said, I'm going to kick you out of the school and cast the devil out of you on the way out, yes, ma'am, I will never do that again. But who's really afraid of a wet noodle? Proverbs 20, verse 8, a king that sits in the throne of judgment scatters away all evil with his eyes. A leader should be respected and feared enough to stop evil with just a look. Grandmama. Old school mama, she could just look at you. You know you were toast. Most wives who are Jezebels have their husbands trained this way too. Wicked. Wicked, 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 wicked. Yeah, I'll leave that one alone. Proverbs 16, 14. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death. But a wise man will pacify it. Leaders are authorized to get angry and execute judgment. A pushover will never successfully lead. 
If a leader has been angered, it is the provocateur's responsibility to pacify it. Don't provoke the king. Notice so far, the king's not wrong for being angry. We've taught that anger is wrong in America, unless, of course, you're protesting or marching or looting or torching. Anger is wrong, unless, of course, you're justified because you've been disenfranchised. No, the king has every right to be angry. He's the one in charge. He's the one you were stupid enough to break his rules. The Bible blames the provocateur. You provoke the king's wrath. You go pacify it. Don't get upset at him because you're an idiot. He's just doing his job. Amen. Do not provoke the king. Proverbs 19, 12. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. Leaders are permitted to have both favor and wrath. Both are earned. If you lead, make sure you can distribute both. In America, most leaders have a lot of trouble having confrontation and executing judgment. They want everybody to like them. As long as you want everybody to like you, you will never be a good leader. That's what makes for a horrible mama. She wants to be best friends with her kids. You're not called to be best friends with your kids. You're called to be mama. Mama and best friend are two different words in the English language. Mama, best friend. Best friend, mama. They don't even rhyme. They're not even synonymous. But most mamas get weird in this nation trying to be best friends. The reason is they don't want their kids to be mad at them. Get mad at me. I'm going to spank you again. Daddy would always say, I'll give you something else to cry about. Amen. Amen. It's all about attitude. If you are going to lead, you have to make sure you can distribute both wrath and favor. Most, most leadership is often quite pushoverish, and that's why uh, we have such chaos in the nation today. Proverbs 20, verse 2, New Living Translation. The king's, the king's fury is like a lion's roar. To arouse his anger is to risk your life, and you sin against your own soul. I like that because it says you're wrong, not the king. You're the one that's in sin because you provoke the king's wrath. Again, leaders should have the ability to execute judgment when needed. Here, the king is not guilty of sin for roaring in anger. Rather, it is the fool who provoked the king that has committed the sin. It is the fool. You provoke the king, you're wrong. We want to blame the professor, the teacher. We want to blame the police officer. He pulled me over. You were speeding. You're a fool. You copped an attitude. He drew his gun on you. A couple years ago, we like to joke about Luke. Luke had such an attitude. We got pulled over by state trooper, and Luke went all anti-cop. And I said, you shut up. This is a police officer, man. You cop an attitude with him, I'm going to let him take you to jail. And he was asking for it. This is a police, a state trooper. He doesn't want to pull us over. He just wants to go home. We were the ones speeding through his domain. We have every right to say, forgive us, sir. Give us what you want, sir. We fall at your, your beck and call. You're the authority here. We're the rebels. We're the church group rebelling through your domain. And we had to eventually just shut Luke up because he was, his mama works for the police station. Here he's taking an attitude with cops. That, thank God it was about five or six years ago. And he has greatly humbled himself. But uh, yeah, fool, stupid. You earn the D, you earn the suspension, you earn the excommunication. Again, leadership doesn't want to have to do that stuff. Why did you provoke him? Proverbs 20, verse 26, New American Standard. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. This is talking about wise leadership. It is a wise leader's job to constantly keep the wickedness out of their domain. 
The threshing wheel crushes the sin and separates it from what is still good. The winnowing fork. You know, you're separating good from evil. You can sit down with an employee and say, what you did here was good, but you crossed the line there. If you're going to be a good leader, you have to be able to call evil, evil, and good, good. And look at even your most favored employee, your most favored child, your most favored sheep, and say, you were right here up until a point, then you got wrong. You have to be able to judge indiscriminately. Now, again, in America, we're taught not to judge. Well, if that's the case, then why do they have price tags? You judge it, it's a good deal. Uh, Why do we have stoplights? We're being taught how to morally and socially not judge anything and be numb. But everything else still works on judgment. Proverbs 20, 28, mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upheld by mercy. His throne is upheld by mercy. This verse and the verses before it show us the two extremes of being a leader, wrath and mercy. And you've got to have both. You can't be kind of a mediocre middle of the ground guy. You have to have both wrath and mercy as a leader. The Bible says in Romans, behold the goodness and severity of God. God has both mercy, he also has judgment. A leader must be able to demonstrate both. Too much wrath becomes a crushing dictator. Too much mercy becomes a pushover that accomplishes nothing. Amen. May God help us to become the leaders he has called us to be. So hopefully you've learned something out of this. this is, these are very critical. Uh, we need more leaders now than ever. And the Bible is full of the wisdom necessary to get there. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for these weeks that we've learned about leadership and the conclusion out of the book of Proverbs. Help us to be both merciful and wrathful leaders to be able to stomp sin when it creeps out in our domain, but also to extend mercy when it wasn't intentional or the the perpetrator repents. Father, help us to lead our own home, our own flesh, our own body, our own family, our own job, career, or even our own ministry. Bless us, Lord, and help us with this word in Jesus' name. Amen.